Hey everyone, how are you? Merry Christmas. We are officially what, four days, five days before Christmas? Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday. Five days till Christmas. Pretty awesome. Give it up for Christmas. Come on. Um, uh, I love Christmas a lot. Um, but if we haven't met before, my name is Bill. I'm one of the pastors here at Mosaic. Uh, and today, I'm going to kind of talk a lot about Christmas because, you know, it's almost Christmas. So we're going to take a break from our Sermon on the Mount series that Aaron's been uh, doing for us. And we're going to talk about Christmas and a lot of really nerdy things. All right? Are you guys ready for that? Because if you know me at all, like, I'm kind of a dork. I'm kind of a nerd. Um, and, I mean, Star Wars came out on Thursday, right? So we've got to talk about nerdy things, of course. But I remember when I took the Myers-Briggs, uh, not Myers-Briggs, the Gallup Strengths Finder, my number one strength came out learner. I was like, thanks a lot, Gallup. You know, like, I've been bullied my whole life being called a nerd, and you just confirm it. Thanks. Appreciate it. Um, but cool. I'm curious. What are some of your favorite sort of, like, Christmas traditions? Just shout it out. I like to hear from you guys. Buying presents. Buying presents. Cool. What else? Decorating trees. Being with family. Being with family. Does anyone ever do anything for, like, Advent, like candles or calendars, things like that? No calendar people out there? Advent. Oh, yeah. Yeah, exactly. What's in your Advent calendar? A mouse. A mouse? Interesting. Okay, a mouse. Uh, for me and my family, it's chocolate. Chocolate Advent calendar. So every day, you get to open it up, and then you got your little treat, right? It's perfect. And this year, our, uh, my wife and I, we lived in Scotland for four years. And if you've ever been to the UK, if you ever visit the UK, you have to eat their chocolate. They have the best chocolate in the world. And I don't know why there's such a difference between Cadbury over there and Cadbury here, but it's a huge difference. And so our friends mailed us an advent calendar from Scotland. And so every morning, my son, he wakes up, and the first thing he says is, can I have my chocolate? Can I have my chocolate? I'm like, no, man, you got to eat your breakfast. you got to eat your eggs. Can I have my chocolate? Can I have my chocolate? It's like, no, you can't. And then he says, can I have chocolate milk then? <laughs> so he's clever. He's clever. Because we don't like to wait, do we? Like in our, in our life, we don't like to wait for things. Uh, and right now, we are in the fourth Sunday of Advent. Uh, so Advent is the weeks leading up to Christmas, and today we find ourselves in the last Sunday of Advent. And Advent is all about waiting. It's all about waiting for this moment when Jesus would come. I remember uh, growing up in church uh, and seeing the candles. Every week, another candle would be lit, candle would be lit. In my mind, I'd look forward to Christmas morning for the presents but as we look and as we celebrate Advent as people uh, who follow Jesus, we remember not only that Jesus came 2,000 years ago, but we also reflect and we wait uh, knowing that Jesus will come again. And so Advent is this season of waiting, even though we don't like to wait. Life continually tells us to be busy. Um, anyone hate waiting for things? Yeah, me too. So I've, I've had this 10-pound uh, pork shoulder and my freezer for about a month, and I was like, I need to make this, right? Because pork shoulder is delicious. And so then I found this recipe, and this recipe is perfect. I'm like, oh, yes. But then you have a 10-pound pork shoulder in the freezer. you got to wait, what, a week for it to thaw in the fridge. And so I get in the fridge, and it's thawing, and then it's finally ready to go. And I check the recipe. I put the, I put the rub on it. It was this beautiful garlic and fennel seed rub. And then I looked at the recipe, and it said... Put it in the oven for 18 hours. I was like, 18 hours? Are you serious? Like, where are the microwave instructions for this thing? And so then 
I prep it the night before, put it in the oven, and then it just fills the house with the smell uh, all night. And I'm waking up and I can smell this roast. The next morning I get up and I check it. I open the oven and it's looking perfect. I've been cooking for about 10 hours and I'm getting excited. I'm, I'm ready for dinner to happen then. Picking at the skin, just getting ready for it. So I pop it back in the oven, make sure the oven's on, make sure everything's set, and I leave for the day. And then I come back about eight hours later, and I walk in the house, and all of a sudden the smell was gone. And I was like, what happened? Go into the kitchen, and the kitchen wasn't really warm, like, you know, when the oven's on, and I opened the oven door, and the oven turned off. Totally off. Thank you for the people who are like, oh, no, devastating, Right? Because it was devastating. I had been waited so long for this roast, and then it was ruined because it just, you know, oven went cold. It went room temperature. And if you know anything about room temperature roasts, they don't do well. If you've ever worked in the restaurant industry, you know, don't eat that roast. It'll be tempting. It looks like it's cooked, but it's filled with bacteria. And I was tempted. I really was. I was tempted. But I didn't. I regretfully had to throw it in the garbage. Um, and it's not that I don't like to wait. It's that I don't know how to wait. I don't know how to wait for things. I think in the, in the day and age that we live, uh, we don't have to wait for much. Oh, that fruit's not in season? No worries. We'll fly it from halfway around the world so you can eat it any time of the year. We don't really know how to wait in our instant gratification society, but I also believe that this idea of waiting is something that uh, has been ingrained in humanity from the get-go. I don't believe it's just a modern day thing with smartphones. I'm not going to get up here and say, oh, well, it's the smartphones. We don't know how to wait anymore. No, this is something right from the beginning. Uh, you go in the book of Genesis and there's a story of Jacob and Esau. There were two brothers and Esau, he literally traded his birthright to his brother Jacob because he said, I need a bowl of that stew. I'll trade you my birthright for that stew because what good is it if I'm dead, dying of starvation? So he gives his birthright to his brother for a bowl of stew. Abraham is promised to become the father of a great nation, and it wasn't happening. His wife wasn't getting pregnant. How can you become a father of a great nation if your wife isn't getting pregnant? He didn't know how to wait, and so then he impregnated his servant because he didn't want to wait. The people of God, the Israelites, they get out of slavery in Egypt, and they spend 40 years in the desert, and they begin to worship other gods because they don't know how to wait. See, this idea of waiting has been ingrained in us from the beginning of time. We just don't know how to do it. But this season of Advent, this season of looking towards the coming of Jesus, it's teaching us, again, how to wait in the midst of not knowing how. And I believe there's a beautiful example in the Christmas story of how we learn to wait. Beautiful example of some characters that we find in the story of the birth of Jesus that, that is going to give us some insight uh, in how we can learn to wait, how, how we can learn to look forward to the coming of our God. So if you, co- if you have a copy of the scriptures can you turn with me to Matthew chapter 2? And we're going to kind of dip in and out of Matthew chapter 2 the rest of the time. So keep your finger on it. Pull it up on your phone. Keep it up on your phone. Um, I'm sure it'll be up on the screens. Here we go. Matthew chapter 2. We're going to find this group of men that really kind of teach us how to wait. Matthew chapter 2, starting in verse 1. Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea during the reign of King Herod. About that time, some wise men from the eastern lands arrived in Jerusalem asking, Where is the newborn king of the Jews? We saw his star as it rose, and we have come 
to worship him. Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? What's interesting about this is Matthew chapter 1, the beginning of the New Testament, it really just goes through the genealogy of Jesus. It talks about Jesus' birth. And then these are the first characters that show up that know anything about the coming of this Messiah. But it kind of begs the question, like, how did they know? How do they know to follow this star? How do they know to get there? And what's really interesting is what happens when they arrive. Because they go around, they ask the question, where is he? Where's the Messiah? Where is he at? Didn't you guys see a star? Haven't you guys been waiting? And so this is this idea that they didn't know how to wait because no one knew what they were talking about. They're like, who? What do you mean? The Messiah was born? No one knows. And so the, the Magi, uh, they, they show up and no one knows what they're talking about. No one has been waiting for this moment, even though this is one of the 13 pillars of the Jewish faith, is the coming of a Messiah who's going to usher in an era of messianic rule. And they didn't see it happen. They weren't waiting well. So who were these magi, right? Who were these wise men? Because um, I think there's some, there's some things that have been embellished with the Christmas story. So these magi, uh, we don't know a lot about them, but we know a little bit. Uh, some uh, traditions grew, and it was like these men were kings. They actually were not kings. The Magi were not kings. Uh, there were probably not three of them. Uh, we say there was three wise men or three Magi, um, mostly because they presented three presents once they do find Jesus. Um, we know that there was more than one of them because the word Magi is plural. And they probably had many more than two of them that went and, and came with them. So those are some things that we know that the Magi are not. So what we do know of the Magi is we know that they were more likely than not scientists. They were astronomers. I mean, they said they followed a star. The fact that they saw this star and no one else did, uh, is that a miracle or is that something that they're seeing in the sky that no one else can see? Uh, what's interesting is the Magi, they, kind of, they first appear about 7th century before uh, B.C., um, they show up, they're on the scene, and what's actually uh, really interesting is uh, in Daniel chapter 2, the magicians that they talk about, the wise men they talk about in Daniel 2, uh, more likely than not, were magi. More likely than not, they were uh, part of these wise men, because the word magi, it's where we get our modern day word magic or magicians. And so that line between sort of occult practices and science, that line was probably a little bit blurred uh, 3,000 years ago. Uh, alchemists, they were basically chemists that tried to uh, take substances or use incantations to turn things into gold. Uh, but a lot of their practices would have been exper- uh, experimental chemistry. Um, so what's interesting about these magi, and even in Daniel chapter 2, uh, we talked about Daniel 2 Couple, a couple months ago, I talked about Daniel 2, but I want to read it. It says, Daniel 2, verse 1. On the night during the second year of his reign, Nebuchadnezzar had such disturbing dreams that he couldn't sleep. He called in his magicians, enchanters, sorcerers, and astrologers, and he demanded them to tell him what he had dreamed. And these astrologers and these magicians, they come in and they can't. They can't tell the king what he had dreamed. And what we talked about a couple months ago is Daniel shows up, Daniel hears about it, and Daniel goes in and he says, look, I can't tell you what you dreamed, but there's a God in heaven who can. 
And the God in heaven has revealed this to me. And he tells the king what his dream was, and he gives an interpretation to the dream. And because of that, Nebuchadnezzar actually does something pretty uh, substantial. It says in Daniel chapter 2, verse 48, Then the king placed Daniel in a high position and lavished many gifts on him. He made him ruler over the entire province of Babylon and placed him in charge of all of its wise men. Placed Daniel in charge of all of the wise men. And they say that that position would have been, for Daniel, the chief of the Magi. And this would have happened about 600 years before the birth of Jesus. This man, Daniel, who has a book of the Bible devoted to him, who actually gives a lot of prophecies about the coming of a Messiah, is given the title Chief of the Magi. And so it's interesting to think about that because, this, uh, because the Jews were actually in exile in Babylon at the time. And even when a lot of the Jews were able to go back to Jerusalem, some of them probably intermarried and stayed. And so I'm sure that this uh, tradition of the one true God, I'm sure this tradition of a Messiah who's going to come eventually probably became ingrained in one of the sects of these magi. And so it's interesting to think about what if these magi generation after generation after generation for 600 years talked about the moment when a Messiah would come? What if these magi for 600 years talked about we need to wait for this moment, we need to wait when the time is right for the coming of the Messiah? And then we fast forward back into the book of Matthew. Um, What's interesting is the magi, they show up to Jerusalem. And that's actually pretty significant because they follow this star and they end up in Jerusalem. Um, but Jesus wasn't born in Jerusalem. They're looking for uh, the Messiah in the city of Jerusalem. It actually kind of tells us a lot about what the star is. Uh, there's a lot of different theories about what the star was that the Magi would have followed. Um, and a big part of that is they were probably following some sort of movement of the stars or the planets. Um, it probably wasn't uh, what you see in the movies where there's a star suspended like 100 feet above Jesus' house. And then they just see it and they're like, ah, and then they go in, right? How can you miss that? Like, everyone's going to see that. Um, And they head to Jerusalem. And the reason they probably headed to Jerusalem is the prophecy about the coming of Messiah being born in the city of Bethlehem uh, actually is from the book of Micah, which actually the prophet Micah came after Daniel. And so Micah's prophecies and his writings were probably still in Jerusalem and never made its way to the Magi in the east. And so they headed to Jerusalem because they didn't know the city. And Herod is actually the one who tells them about uh, Micah's prophecy, which is really interesting. So if we head back to Matthew chapter 2, we'll jump back into the story. Verse 4, he called a meeting of the leading priests and teachers of religious law and asked, where is the Messiah supposed to be born? And then his uh, leading priests go to Herod And they tell him this scripture out of Micah, chapter 5, verse 2. In Bethlehem in Judea, they said, for this is what the prophet wrote. And you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are not least among the ruling cities of Judah. For a ruler will come from you, who will be a shepherd for my people, Israel. Then Herod called for a private meeting with the wise men, and he learned from them the time when the star first appeared. Then he told them, go to Bethlehem and search carefully for the child. And when you find him, come back and tell me so that I can go and worship him too. Um, So like I said, I'm kind of a huge geek. 
And so I've literally spent all week sort of researching this idea of like, what was the Bethlehem star? Because the thing about the universe and the thing about the stars, the movement of the stars, is it, it moves like clockwork, right? If we know the way that the stars move now, and scientists are really smart, and there's computer programs that you literally could see what the sky would look like at any day in human history. And so there's a lot of actually really interesting theories about there about what the star could have possibly been. Um, is it possible that it was some sort of pillar of fire, like it talks about how it moved uh, the people of Israel through the desert? Totally possible. Not throwing that out the window at all. Is it possible that there were certain planetary alignments that they were watching and paying attention to uh, that had significance to them, that had meaning to them? Yeah, totally possible. There's an interesting theory uh, that I, I want to share a couple with you. Like I said, I'm a dork, I'm a nerd, so uh, deal with me here. But there's, there's a couple, uh, Griffith Observatory in Los Angeles, uh, they came out with a certain theory where they said that um, what could have happened is that two planets, the planet of Venus and Jupiter, they aligned around the year uh, 2 BC. And they aligned within the constellation Leo. And that's significant because to the, uh, to the wise men, to the magi, Venus uh, associated with the goddess of femininity, uh, Jupiter, the king planet, within the constellation of Leo. And the constellation of Leo was, uh, it was actually a tribal sign for Judah. And according to the prophecy, the leader, the Messiah, would come from the tribe of Judah. Uh, the only problem with that is it happened in the year 2 BC. According to history, Herod died in 4 BC. So uh, either they got the date of Herod wrong or that theory is wrong. I don't know. It's just a theory, Right. There's another really interesting theory where Jupiter and Saturn, they actually came together and they aligned three times in one year, in the year 7 BC. So that's another theory. Maybe they were tracking the movements of Jupiter and Saturn as they were aligning. We don't really know, but what we do know is that for some reason they saw significance in the stars. They found meaning in the stars. They truly thought that God was speaking to them through the stars. You know, I, I truly don't believe that they thought that the stars were causing the Messiah to come to earth. It's not because of these things that that was happening, but God was using these things to speak to the wise men. So what does this tell us about the character of God? What does this tell us about who God is and what he wants to do in your life and my life? What it says about God is God is a missionary, and God wants to speak a language that you understand, that God will do anything, anything to point you towards Jesus. Right? So whatever you understand and whatever you know, God wants to use those things in your life to constantly point you towards Messiah, towards Jesus. Where in your life are you seeing coincidences that are maybe not coincidences? Where in your life do you find people in your path that you're like, man, this seems kind of random. Where are you seeing signs of God all over your life? Because I truly believe that God, he puts things in our path so that we can hear his voice. And at the end of that road, we can see the face of God. See, because God wants us to open our eyes. And this idea of being an advent and this idea of waiting, I think what we can learn from the Magi is waiting isn't about being passive. Waiting isn't about sitting on our couch and waiting for things to happen. Waiting is about being active. It's about searching. It's about opening up our ears and opening up our eyes to what's happening all around us. This week, uh, a family in Mosaic, they donated a car. 
And we're going to be able to donate that car to a single mom. A single mom with two kids and no way to get around. And what's really cool is I went to go pick up the car on Friday from this family, and they said, you know, there is some issues. Uh, there's some issues with the car, and here they are. And so I was like, okay, you know, that's, that's cool. You know, it's great donating car. It's got issues. Maybe let's try to get those things fixed. And so then I knew exactly who to call. I needed to call Daniel Giesbrecht, right? So if you know Daniel, Daniel is an expert mechanic. And so I said, Daniel, I have this car. Do you think you could take a look at it? And Daniel says, of course. Because that's who Daniel is. That's Daniel's heart as he says, yes, yes. Anytime he has an opportunity to serve, he's like, yeah, I want to serve someone. And so then I, he said, what kind of car is it? And I said, well, it's a 2001 Jeep Grand Cherokee. And he just laughs. And he says, I literally just bought a 1999 Jeep Grand Cherokee from auction that I wanted to refurbish and sell, but I can't because it's rusted out, and now I need to use it for parts. Right? Where are those coincidences that happening? And are they just coincidences in your life? Is it possible that it's just a coincidence? Yeah. But is it possible that God uses even little things like that to speak significantly into our life? That God can use something as little as that to change someone's life? A single mom who's struggling to get around and she can have a car. See, because God, he moves in the big things like coming 2,000 years ago to this earth. But man, I fully believe that here and now today, God moves in the big things in our life, but he also moves in the little things. And if we pay attention, if we open up our eyes and if we open up our ears, we're going to see God all around us. How do we know though? How do we know when God has showed up? Because sometimes it can be coincidence, right? Sometimes it can be just those random occurrences. But how do we know without a shadow of a doubt, like the wise men, we're standing before God? We're standing before Jesus, and we're in that moment of just significant spiritual amazement. How do we know we've gotten to that place? Uh, I think that's a really interesting question, and I actually want to ask a different question. And that other question I want to ask is, where are we right now? I know that kind of seems random, but where are we right now? We're at the Trade Center here in Lincoln, Nebraska, right? This is the year 2015. And we exist on this little tiny blue planet called Earth. Uh, I love this uh, picture um, from the moon that astronauts took. And I love Neil Armstrong's quote. He said, He put his hand up, his thumb up to the earth, and he blotted out the earth with his thumb. And he said, in that moment, I didn't feel like a giant. I felt really, really small. Uh, We sent this probe out into space, Cassini it's called, and it it orbited Saturn, and it took this really pretty phenomenal picture of Saturn. Kind of looks like a fake computer-generated picture, doesn't it? But this is actually a real picture that was taken from a probe. Does anyone know where Earth is at on that picture? It's this little tidy blue dot. That's where you are right there. I can literally see the pixels. It's like 10 pixels. That's where you are. And then they sent this other probe uh, 4.7 billion miles away from Earth. It took a picture of us. This is what we look like from 4.7 billion miles away. Can anyone see Earth on this picture? This little tiny couple pixels. That's who we are. We're minuscule. We're tiny. 
That can make you feel a little insignificant, can't it? Like you look at that picture and it almost fills you with a little bit of fear. It feels like you're almost about to fall off a cliff. There's another picture I want to show you. This is the uh, Milky Way galaxy. Oh no, this is Pluto. Go back to Pluto. Pluto's awesome. So we sent a rocket out uh, in uh, 2006, right? We sent this rocket and it traveled a million miles a day. A million miles per day. Do you know how fast that is? Ridiculously fast. And it took nine and a half years to get to Pluto, going a million miles a day. And it gets to Pluto, takes a picture, and then Pluto just sends us this love letter back. Right? And then we have Milky Way, because we exist in this galaxy called the Milky Way. And I love this right here, this little red circle. Right? In that side, that little red circle, with your naked eye, those are the stars that you see when you step outside at night. Those are the only stars that you can see at night is in that little tiny red circle within this giant galaxy. Because the Milky Way galaxy, they estimate, is 100,000 light years long. Has over 100 billion suns. Uh, The size are bigger than our sun that we live in. Makes you feel pretty insignificant. Makes you feel pretty small, doesn't it? But I feel like we can't truly understand what it is to wait until we realize kind of just how insignificant our lives can be. Because I think when we realize just how small we are, but then we realize just how much God loves us, and once we deal with that paradox, I believe it becomes easier to wait. It becomes easier to not be so distracted in our life. It becomes easier to think about those things that are important because we realize that we are just a blip on the radar of time and existence. And that this matters, right? The fact that we're so small and yet God still pays attention to us. And this is just one galaxy in the midst of what they estimate over 100 billion galaxies in the universe that we know of. I think if the wise men knew what we knew about the galaxy, they would probably, their heads would explode, right? They'd probably go a little bit crazy. Um, So I have a couple other nerdy things I want to talk about with you guys, right? So get ready. Uh, So my other nerdy things is this. Did you guys, uh, they estimate, scientists, that the universe is 13.7 billion years old, right? I'm not here to argue with science, right? What we do know is creation happened and we're here. But what they say is that we could actually hear the sound of creation happening. We can actually hear the sound of creation happening. And we can hear it when we are in between radio stations on an analog radio. We can see it uh, in white noise on a television. Remember old school televisions and they'd have white noise? Right? Who remembers that? Totally. Does anyone still have a TV that does that? Yes, absolutely. But they say that 1% uh, of what causes white noise was because of the initial creation experience. That initial boom of creation, that initial God speaking, let there be light, can still be heard today. And the white noise. And they say this because uh, I, I have another picture here for you guys. And this is cool. It's, it's called Cosmic Background Radiation. 
Uh, and with cosmic background radiation, they say it's kind of like the ultrasound of the universe. The ultrasound of the universe. And this is what actually causes white noise to happen. Uh, 1% of it anyways. And you can't see the light uh, because it's, it's made of these photons. But we can't see it with our naked eye uh, because it's so cold. So our eyes can't see it, can't perceive it. So it exists like a radio wave, like a microwave. And so when scientists came out with this image... Uh, that they said, uh, there's a Nobel Prize winner, George Smoot said, it was like seeing the face of God. It's like seeing the face of God. And I, I kind of take this tangent because I think it's so vital in terms of how we wait well. Because here's the thing, uh, there's this quote from Bob Goff. He says, God, didn't give the wi- God gave the wise men directions, right? He gave them a direction to go. He didn't give them specific instructions, Because this wasn't a business trip. This was an adventure. See, God, his intention is he wants to fill you with wonder. He wants to fill you with awe. He wants us to sit back and just say, wow. And that's why I love the wise men's experience when they finally arrive at their destination. After hundreds and hundreds of years of rumors about a Messiah possibly coming someday, generation after generation after generation, and then it finally happens, what is their response? And we can read what their response is in Matthew chapter 2, if we jump back there, verse 9. After this interview with the wise men, they went their way, and the star that they had seen in the east guided them to Bethlehem. It went ahead of them and stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they were filled with joy. They entered the house and saw the child with his mother Mary, and they bowed down and worshipped him. Then they opened their treasure chest and gave him gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. What is their intention? Or what, what was their response when they saw Jesus? What is our response supposed to be when we arrive? What is our response supposed to be when we know without a shadow of a doubt that God was present, that God has spoken to us, that we've seen the face of God. How do we know when we've gotten there? We know when we've waited well, when our only response is worship. When our only response is just falling to our knees and saying, wow, wow. Those moments cannot happen unless we've gone through a season of waiting. Those moments cannot be conjured. We can't just say, okay, everyone, let's get on our knees and worship now and sing a last song. Those moments only happen when we encounter God. Those moments only happen when we wait well, and at the end of that long wait is we see God. Our only response can be worship. And the Magi, the response is worship, and that worship generates gratitude and generosity. And then what they give is they give gold, frankincense, and myrrh which says a lot about who they're proclaiming Jesus to be. Gold meaning, Jesus, you are king. Frankincense meaning, Jesus, you are priest, because they used to use frankincense as incense in worship. And myrrh is actually kind of a prophecy about what eventually is going to happen, because myrrh was actually perfume that was used for uh, burial. So Jesus, you are prophet. And so it's interesting, these gifts that they give them really say a lot about eventually what's going to happen in the life of Jesus. And so we're here today. And I don't know about you, but 
I'm desperate to hear the voice of God in my life. I'm desperate. And it's hard to wait. Because sometimes waiting is really, really tough. Sometimes I want it now. God, I need you to speak to me now. God, I need you to show me a direction now. But sometimes God, he gives us a direction and we don't know where the destination is. And it's hard because we want to know, where am I going? I want to get there. Where am I going? I want to get there. And sometimes God just gives us a direction to go. How do we know we get there? We get there when at the end of the road, all we can do is worship. So this Advent season, I wonder, how is our heart? How do we learn to worship? How do we learn to wait really, really well? And I believe that we're here today, we're in this room. Uh, God has brought us here, right? I don't know why you're here. I don't know if you came because someone dragged you. I don't know if you came because the cute girl invited you. Maybe you came because this is routine or this is your family day. Maybe you saw a star hanging above our building and you showed up. I don't know. Maybe. That'd be kind of cool. But we're here in this room. And so this idea of waiting for the Messiah to come, and even us as Christians waiting for Jesus to come back again, Hebrews chapter 9 verse 28 says, So Christ has been offered once to bear the sins of many, will appear a second time, not to deal with sin, but to save those who are eagerly waiting for him. Save those who are eagerly waiting for him. Man, Jesus, he will come again. He will establish a rule and a reign on this earth. But Jesus can come right here and now. He can invade our hearts. Jesus can come in our lives and he can, he can come in our hearts and he can be a part of us from here on out. So that in this moment today, our tongues can confess and our knees can say, Jesus, you are Lord. Jesus, you are God. Jesus, you are Messiah. Not just 2,000 years ago when you died on a cross, but you are Messiah, Messiah today. So I wonder, how in tune are we with the voice of God in our life? How can we be in tune with the voice of God in our life uh, when it, all it seems like we have is white noise, white noise in our life? So I wonder, when we hear that, when we experience that white noise, maybe it sounds like nothing. But maybe it sounds like the voice of God saying, let there be light. Let there be light here and now, today. Let there be light in my life. Let there be light in your life. That the sound of God's creation, the sound of God saying the words, let there be light, can still be heard today can be heard when all we feel like maybe our lives are filled with white noise. Let's pray. God, speak to us this morning. God, we are desperate, longingly waiting to hear your voice. God, I pray that you will teach us how to wait well. Wait for your voice in our life. Wait for that direction. 
God, I pray in this Advent season, we would just long and look forward, not just looking back to you coming to earth 2,000 years ago, but eventually looking forward to you coming again. But in this moment here and now today, Jesus, I pray for you to come. That we can be sitting here and we can say, Jesus, I want you to be my Messiah. Jesus, I want to stand before you and I want to give you everything. I want my life to be a living sacrifice. I want to give you everything, Jesus. So I feel like as we look forward to Christmas being five days away uh, and we look back at Jesus coming to this earth and we look at what he did on the cross, um, I want us to share communion together. I want us as we look forward to Christmas happening, we not only remember the birth of Jesus, but we also remember the death and we also remember because of that death, we can become alive in Christ. And so I invite you during this last song to take communion with us. And then next to the communion, you'll see there's a basket and there's some candles in it. And so on Christmas Eve, we like to do a candlelight service. And so I was thinking, let's learn to practice waiting. So my challenge is take one of those candles and this week, keep that candle and then bring it back with you on Christmas Eve. Wait to light that candle. Reflect on that candle. Practice waiting well. Don't just stick it in your car. Don't just stick it in your glove box. Don't just stick it in a drawer. But keep it as a reminder that God can speak to you in any way possible. That if you open your eyes and you open your ears, God is all around us. And God is just waiting for you to say, I'm listening.